Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast, our core Connected and Committed podcast. I am Lorraine Prince, Head of Networks for Church of England Education Office, and today I have a lovely co-host with me, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Good morning, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Olulari, and I am the National Education Lead for Racial Justice, um, Secondary Lead, and it's such a privilege to um, host this very, very important podcast all about, drumroll, science. <laughs> so, so listen, everybody, you need to buckle up because I know that this is what you want to hear about, what's happening in the world of science. We have today our esteemed guest, Dr. Margaret James. And I say the doctor with the emphasis on it because she is the one and only person who has a doctorate degree in church schools inspections. So lean in and listen closely because she's going to be dropping a lot of information to help you to navigate through the world of science. So let's, let's just, let's jump into it. When I arrived... In this space, obviously, many of you who are sitting at the table know that I am, I'm not from Church of England school. So, Siams for me was like, what is Siams? So let's just let's let's go over what is Siams, please. Well, hello, Lorraine um, and Elizabeth. So Siams is essentially um, the part of the Education Act that covers the inspection of um, specific elements of a church school, and we can narrow those down to three areas: religious education (RE). Collective worship, and what we in education um, glibly call SMSC, which is social, moral, spiritual, and cultural education. So our inspection covers those three um, reasonably broad areas of the life of a school. Well, so we've had conversations, and and the world around us know that there is a new framework. And to say that they're like, well, what's happening in that framework? Mm-hmm is an understatement. And I think for me coming into this space and looking at there's a framework, well, what what was significant about this new framework? What, what are some things that you've taken from the old framework that worked really well? And what are some things that you said, you know what, we really need to rethink this and, and move forward collectively into a new space, a new era? Well, hopefully it will reassure um, the listeners to the podcast that when I said about reviewing um, the the 2018 SIAM schedule, everything was both on the table and off the table. So there were no givens, there were no um, preconceptions about what was going to go and what was going to stay and what needed to change. I took um, a fundamental review of the whole thing. And one of the principal elements of that was looking at how we inspect, looking at how everything hangs together and what our purpose um, in inspecting actually is. So going back to the basics of what inspection means, of what we want to achieve working with schools, I really firmly believe that together we are the the body of Christ in education. We've all got our part to play. And as the, the lead of the inspection service for the Church of England, we have an important part to play in that. So we, so we reviewed it all. I hope that listeners will also be reassured that much of what's already was already in Siam's is still there. I tend to use the um, a phrase to describe it. Now this isn't the title of the new framework. The title is quite boringly the Siam's framework. But as a descriptor, I'm using the phrase that it's radically different and radically the same. 
church school leaders and staff are hopefully reassured that it's the radically the same part that really applies to them. So no new content, no new concepts, nothing else new is expected of church schools. So SIAMS is not reimagining what it means to be a church school. Um, we're carrying on with that. It's good, it's comprehensive, um, there's good coverage within that. The radically different part is how we inspect what we do with the evidence that we gather. And I think that headlines for schools, and listeners probably have already picked this up, is that we're moving away from September 2023, we're moving away from giving grades to giving judgments. Now, that might just sound like semantics. We're moving from one word to another. It's actually significantly different. What we're doing is we're taking the kind of evidence that is gathered. So if, if you've ever been on the receiving end of a SIAMS inspection, which I'm sure many listeners will have been, you're aware that um, a SIAMS inspector will ask you about spirituality. They'll ask you about worship. They'll ask you about relationships. They'll ask you what it's like to be a part of this church school community. What does it feel like? What's your experience? Um, how do you experience it? How do you experience it? And that's very different um, for different people. And we call this kind of evidence qualitative evidence because it's subjective and it's open to interpretation. It's valid evidence and it's important evidence, um, but we can't pretend that it's objective. What we can't do with evidence like that is then turn it into an objective grade. So what we do from 2023 onwards is that we, we retain coherence between the type of evidence that we've collected and the type of judgment that we're making. So we're going to make a qualitative judgment and essentially schools will fall into one of two judgments. Um, I can explain those, but I think maybe the detail is in the documents. So and I think it's more important that schools understand why we've moved away from grades to judgments. So the judgments are coherent with the type of evidence that we collect. Something else that's important, and this may be a change for some schools, but this may resonate with the type of inspection, science inspection that schools have had before. The, the collection of the, of the evidence, the gathering of evidence, is meant to be and will be, from September 2023 onwards, a collaborative process. So if you imagine the occasion of an inspection as the occasion of two experts coming together. Let's take those experts as being the head teacher and the inspector. They both bring expertise into the field of inspection. The head teacher is the expert in the life of their school. They know their community, they know their curriculum, they know their intent, they hopefully know their vision for what they're going to achieve. They know all about that school and what that community needs. The inspector doesn't. The inspector needs to mine that expertise from the head teacher, and they can only do that through conversation, through observation, through discussions that enable them to get beneath the skin of what's going on in the school. The inspector also brings their expertise um, in inspection, in gathering evidence, in directing conversations to elicit the most useful, the most relevant um, evidence. And then the expertise of the inspector extends to analysing that evidence, evaluating it and then using it to reach a judgment. 
So if you like, you can think of it in two separate stages, the collaborative evidence gathering with the two experts working together. There'll be more than two because it won't just be the head. It'll be many members of staff, pupils, governors, parents, members of the church. A whole load of people will be involved in the inspection. But the coming together, these experts, that's the collaborative part. And then once the evidence gathering is finished, just imagine the inspector goes off to their little room, assesses that evidence and reaches their judgments alone. Now, if the collaboration in the evidence gathering has been robust, rigorous, extensive and relevant, the inspector's got everything they then need to apply their skills and reach um, a fair and accurate judgment. So that's going to be what's happening from September. Something else that schools, I think, will notice that's different, but bear in mind, this is radically the same for schools, so this is not covering new content. But the structure of the document itself is different. People are probably very familiar with the seven strands in the 2018 schedule. Um, the, the 2023 framework has a different structure. It has what we're calling inspection questions. I think we'll probably come to call them IQs in time, just slightly less of a mouthful. And there are seven IQs. Six of them will be addressed for every single school that is inspected under SIAMS. And then the seventh one is just for voluntary aided schools because it looks at religious education, uh, teaching and learning. So we're looking at seven IQs. And what the inspection questions do is they ask high-level questions focusing on impact. Now, if you could see me now, I'm banging my hand as she I say She is banging that. her hand, everybody. <laughs> but it's a focus on impact because, quite frankly, and to say it really bluntly, it doesn't matter, schools, how you achieve your aims, how you enable your Christian vision to be an effective reality in in the lives of, of people. It doesn't matter how you do it, as long as it works. So a science inspection will no longer look at specific criteria. Have you done this? Have you done that? What about this? Is this in place? Is that in place? Tick, 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 tick. It won't do that. It will ask questions such as... Um, Oh, I'm testing myself now to try and remember the actual wording of the inspection questions, but I'll have a go here. So I think inspection question three says, how does collective worship enabling, how does collective worship enable the school to be a spiritually flourishing community? So that's the question that's got to be answered. Now, school A is likely to answer that very, very differently from school B. Absolutely. And part of the reason for that is is contextual. Mm -hmm. And context also will have a really high profile in science inspections. Now, if you imagine, we can go to two ends of a spectrum here. Imagine to start with a, a tiny, uh, rural, uh, monocultural infant school. Okay. Imagine the context of that school. They've got very specific needs. Their community is characterised in a certain way. That's one end of the spectrum. That's a church school. That's great. And then imagine um, a huge voluntary aided secondary school in an inner city in a multicultural community. Okay, Both church schools, both have a responsibility to enable people to flourish, children, young people and adults to flourish through the school's Christian vision. Both have got the same responsibility. Both, if we go back to that collective worship inspection question, have a responsibility to ensure that um, people in that community can 
flourish spiritually. How school A goes about doing that is likely to be very different from how school B goes about it. So why should we tell schools, back them into a corner and say, you must do it this way? Because when we do that, we're in danger of doing something that I think we don't really believe in. What we would do if we if we um, insisted on specific criteria to achieve an aim that we say will happen, we would be propagating what can be described as an input-output equation for education. And that this is what that is. But that's, like you said, it is revolutionary because I think that's something that they're used to, right? And I think because that's something that they're used to, there could be a a little bit of trepidation in this new approach and I think we need like so how are we going to guide them through this process to actually say yes it is statutory but we're here to see the equitable experience of your school and and see what it looks like you're going to encapsulate that we want to see what that looks like Mm -hmm. instead of giving you criteria and you just take it off and it, and then we go. And it can be quite scary. You're right, mm. Lorena, that if you remove criteria, if you, it's, it's almost the difference between imagining painting by numbers yeah. and painting. Yeah. Okay? Mm. So the painting by numbers can still give you a lovely picture mm. um, because you, and you've followed and you've put colour whatever into mm. shapes number one and etc. Um, by removing the numbers and by removing that step-by-step direction, that can be a little bit frightening. Mm. So what I would say, I have a few things to say that hopefully will reassure schools um, in this respect. The most important thing is that if what you're doing is working and is enabling people in your school community to flourish, keep keep doing it, yeah. all right? Because that's what this is all about. This is not about telling you um, how to do what you're doing. So if it's working, keep doing it. If you're not happy with how it's going, uh, if you're thinking, well, I'm meeting the criteria in, in the 2018 schedule, I'm doing what they say, but I'm not getting the um, the impact. It's not happening like um, I imagine it would or like they expect it to happen within science. It's not working. Okay, s- try something different. And you can try something different um, because you are intelligent, because you know, you're creative, you know your school community. Also, you've got people around you to help, to collaborate. Speak to your diocesan education team. What ideas have they got? Speak to colleagues. Involve your local church. What suggestions have they got? What could you try? If you're clear about the impact you want to to reach, to achieve, um, try a different way of getting there if what you're doing is working. What we're going to be doing as well from September 23 to help people in this respect, because um, what we certainly don't want to be doing is pulling the rug from people and saying, well, there you go. You had all the help under the 2018 schedule. We've taken it away and we've given you freedom. Freedom can be quite frightening Mm -hmm. if you don't know where to go. So we're going to underpin that with some some help. we're going to be publishing on a regular basis, and, and I hope that that will be both frequent and regular, um, on our website, some um, engaging case studies of what is working well in a variety of different schools. So we'll be having on our website videos, uh, pictures and write-ups of ideas that different schools have tried that have worked. So there will in time... Please don't hold me to um, to, to account <laughs> hold for all of this. Hold her feet to the fire, everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, please don't. So by September 2023, our website is not going to be awash with 
tens and tens of case studies addressing um, every single school contact. We'll build it up in time um, so that people can have a look on there saying, well, you know, that's quite similar to my school. That seemed to work there. I'll try that. But you can generate your own case study experience, if you like, by talking, talking to the people within your diocese, finding out um, what people are trying and trying the same. Also, don't forget, because 2023 is radically different, radically the same, you've still got, you know, you're not going to burn your Siam's 2018 schedule. It's still there. So that painting by numbers approach, if that is what help is helpful um, to, to get people going as they um, grow into that newer freedom, if it's working, keep doing what you were doing before. It's in the schedule. Still follow those guidance if that's helpful. Um, your diocese will help you with that as well. The, the way that we are viewing this is that SIAMS has um, a role and a responsibility in church school education to enable as much improvement as it can do. So this isn't about punitive grading um, or even arbitrary grading. This is about identifying with a school what it needs to do that will move it on most significantly. I am so grateful that you said that because from what I'm hearing you say is that the journey is as important as the end result. It's it certainly, I mean, we mm-hmm. want an end result mm-hmm. and the inspection questions um, give quite a strong guide as to what that end result is. Mm-hmm. But we would be naive and arrogant if we suggested that we are not all on a journey towards something. You know, none of us is the finished article. Mm-hmm. None of us um, has a record of getting everything right the first time we do it. Mm-hmm. We will do things sometimes and they'll work straight away and we'll be delighted. And other times we'll try two, three, four, maybe more times in a really well-intended way. And they don't work. And eventually they will. And what I would advise schools to do is to go back time and time again to what is called in the new framework, the school's theologically rooted Christian vision. Have absolute clarity about what it is you're trying to achieve. Because I, that is the most important thing. You'll work out how to do it. So what is it that your community needs? And um, that might be quite a, a scary phrase. You know, oh my goodness, you talked about holding feet to the flames. You're going to be holding me to account for a theologically rooted Christian vision. I don't even know what that phrase means. What do I do? Um, so... Your diocese will definitely help you with that. Your church can help you with that. But please don't underestimate your ability to think theologically. And just this will be a very brief guidance. So I'm, this is not a training course in doing that. But just hopefully some comments that will help you to see that this is not an unattainable um, starting point. Because I think your, your vision is your starting point. I'd su- advise heads and governors, school leaders to to maybe think about this in three different steps. First of all, examine your own vocation, um, maybe privately, certainly reflectively. Why are you in education? What are you doing? Why are you a leader? What do you think leadership's about? Why are you in a church school? Why are you in this specific school? Are you called to this? What is it that's within you that resonates with with the school that, that you are leading or part of the leadership of? Examine your vocation and have some clarity over who you are in this, in this context of the school. 
Once you've got some clarity on your vocation, I'd suggest you start then to look outwards. So look at the context of your school, because this is a crucially important question. What does your school need from you, mm. you as, as, a, as a school? What does your school community need from you? And I think I'd want to emphasise the word need rather than want. You know, we all know if, if you've got or, mm-hmm. or work with children, what mm-hmm. they want isn't necessarily <laughs> what, what they, they need. need. So what yeah. do you discern is that need? And that's not from a position of, of distance and superiority. You know, oh, I think I think you need broccoli children. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, really understand your community. What are those needs? Because... In, in some school communities, the, the most pressing need might be aspiration. In others, it might be safety. In others, it might be equity. In others, it might be respect. In others, it might be love. And it might be might all be of the above. It is, likely, <laughs> it is very likely yeah. to be all of the above. Yeah. So, all of the above. So discern what are the most pressing needs. What is the urgent need of your community, the, the one that shouts out to you most? Discern that need because that will characterise your context. And an understanding of your context and of who you are sets a really good foundation to thinking about what your vision should be. So then we get onto the part of that phrase that is maybe a little bit more of a barrier, the, the theologically rooted mm. vision. So when I, the question here is, once you understand um, your vocation and the role of, of leadership within the school and you understand the context, can you then think theologically about how to meet those needs? Because that's the core of this. Now, the, thinking theologically is something we can all do. It's about... Um, what we learn from the Bible and it's what we learn from the teachings and the traditions of the church. Now that you might be absolutely in your comfort zone thinking about those and you might want to run for the hills. So if running for the hills is your preferred option, don't do that. Run to people who will help you to think this through because you can do this. This, I think once you start to unpick it, you probably find yourself saying, oh, that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Why this yeah. off-putting phrase? Because I, I can do that. Of course but I can do that. we all know that having a diverse mm-hmm. table helps you to process some things it does so i think you've said a a lot of things about introspection understanding and discerning what the vision is not only your vision but what your community's vision is and if you don't understand then seek advice and guidance yeah i think that that's really clear for people to hear and to be able to process because mm-hmm. sometimes you feel like you are the lone person yeah. who is responsible, especially it's school leaders. On your shoulders. It's mm-hmm. everything is sitting on your shoulder mm-hmm. and you know, everybody's always on a journey of mm-hmm. self understanding. And if you're grappling with what your vision is, then you need to be sitting around people who can help you and guide you through Absolutely. that process. Yeah. Um, so I know that um, all the, all three of us have read uh the report that's put out by Siams. Yes. Um, and I'm just going to tell you what jumped out to me. Oh, okay. So when I read it, obviously I had my racial justice hat on mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had my courageous advocacy hat on. Mm-hmm. Those were the two things that jumped out to me to say, okay, we're here and we might need a little bit more development. Mm-hmm. So in your space um, and understanding, what is it that schools can do to improve their justice work through creative advocacy and through racial justice? And what is it that SIAMS is doing to improve their understanding of that process also? I'll I'll start the answer to this by um, thinking again about your vision. 
Um, I doubt, highly doubt that your vision will be about excluding people and about disempowering people and about narrowing the scope of who's welcome in your school. I doubt that's your vision. So your vision, I'm pretty sure, is going to be based on inclusion, welcome, empowerment and justice, you know, as an extension um, of, of some of those concepts. So if we think, first of all, about... Um, should we think about the inclusion part of the question mm-hmm. first? Um, we we start um, as Siams and as the Church of Eng- of the Church in Education from the absolute firm belief and understanding that we are all all human beings are made in the image of God. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. I have my strengths, weaknesses. So do you. We are equal, and we are made in the image of God. Now, if you start from that premise, how can you lead, run, work in, be part of a school where everybody is not welcome and does not know that they're welcome? And that includes people of different races, colours, faiths, socioeconomic backgrounds um, with different academic abilities. You think of what difference might look like and remember that we are all made in the image of God. Somehow in all of us, we reflect God and and, and we're here. We we are equally valid. Everybody in your school community, even the people that you find annoying and irritating, (laughs) are made in the image of God and they're as valuable as you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's just because they exist. That's not because of what they do or whether they're nice to you or whether um, they do well in exams, just because they exist. So... I would say that from the inclusion point of view, everything that you do needs to make sure that imagine any type of difference that people are welcome um, and have full access to your school community and that they know it. Okay, it's really important that they know it's one thing you saying it and having policies in place. But do they experience it? And how will you know that? Well, you'll know it by asking them, wouldn't you? And then the, the issue around courageous advocacy I've got a little bit of a bee in my bonnet on this. I think maybe, Lorraine, you might have as well. I think we share very similar views on on what it is and what uh, we are seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of what we're seeing um, is really well-intended attempts. That sounds terribly patronising, so I'm really sorry. But attempts at um, meeting what at the moment... um, in, in, in science is a criteria, um, a criterion and, and is included still as a concept under the 2023 framework. Um, my strongest piece of advice to enable you to know what you're doing around courageous advocacy in your school is read, oh, I'm banging my hands again here, <laughs> read the courageous advocacy document, okay, because it's all in there. It's terrific. So if you Google it, um, courageous advocacy, Church of England, Christian age, you'll get the document. And the document sets out very clearly what courageous advocacy is, and it sets out what it is not. So I can just caricature that in, a, in really to, to give a quick um, explanation of it. What courageous advocacy is not is what um, you might you might have done um, for the last decade and more um, adult-led charity fundraising helping those who are um, 
less fortunate than ourselves we'll and often we can we can caricature that by let's make some cakes let's sell them and we'll send the money to a charity really well intended and i don't doubt that it will do good all right so so let's hang on to the good in that but courageous advocacy is so much more it's deeper and it's richer and that's because it has two fundamental principles which are justice slash injustice we'll count that as one um, and empowerment so this is enabling children and young people to be empowered to be agents of change um, when they encounter read about come upon hear about um, issues of injustice now your, your mind will be full of examples of that i'm sure um, but how are we empowering children in this regard this is not as me as the teachers saying this is an issue children young people this is an issue and i'm going to tell you what you might be able to do about it we, should, we could write some letters couldn't we we could raise some money not about that mine the children's understanding on this and enable them to grow because in that way um they are benefiting because they are growing in an empowered um, way to enable them to start to discern what are good and ethical choices decisions actions um, it's enabling them to have an understanding of other people, remembering that we are all made in the image of God and, we, you know, we are no better than people who might have a particular need at a particular time that we don't have. So you're empowering them, you're giving them a sense that that they can make a difference in the world. And there's a lovely phrase used in the Courageous Advocacy document, which we borrow within SIAMS, which is about enabling children to be agents for change mm -hmm. now what we might expect a six-year-old compared to a 16 year old to, to understand and do um, as a result of that they've of course they're different again let's go back to the expertise of the school you are the experts school leaders and teachers you you know um, your children better than an inspector so explain uh, work that out with the children and then explain it to the inspector but this is don't forget this is about injustice and empowerment this is not about bake sales and the document again uses a lovely phrase it, i think it says it's going beyond the bake sale so don't just slap courageous um, advocacy on the title of something that is really um, more at the bake sale level think it through focus on justice and empowerment Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I really, really enjoyed the way you capitalised on the idea of empowering young people to be agents of change. And as you know, everything we do in the Church of England, we have children and young people right there at the heart. We are very, very passionate about hearing and responding in love um, to our children and young people. Um, there's a very lovely phrase in the report that says something along the lines of to disagree well. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's something where I think you would agree that we're all learning. It's mm -hmm. a journey. I mean, even adults. Especially <laughs> adults, possibly. <laughs> you know, even adults. It's, it's quite tricky for us to disagree well. So I'm just going to put it in the context of inspectors. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself... What I expect inspectors going to do to ensure that the integrity is essential approach for the relationship 
between like the schools, the head teachers, all the stakeholders and the inspector to be able to disagree well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, hopefully they won't disagree. <laughs> that would be a lovely place to, to be starting this. And I think that the collaborative approach to evidence gathering and that recognition of um, respect of expertise should help that. But, but we might be naive to think that there is never going to be any disagreement. Um, so the first thing that I would say is that SIAMS is an evidence-based process. Um, now that don't equate evidence with um, it hasn't got to be data, um, it hasn't got to be you know written down in, in, in copious notes and, and books and um, think more broadly about what evidence is. Evidence can be um, anecdotal, it can be in discussion, it'll be what the inspector sees. There's all evidence, what, what they see, that kind of subjective evidence that the inspector will then use their expertise to, um, to, to draw judgments from. So the evidence base has got to be robust. And part of the process under the 2023 framework is we, we use, we're using the phrase inspection conversations as part of this, because as we're having a relaxed conversation now, when you're in conversation with somebody, you you loosen up a bit. You mm-hmm. feel that you can talk. Yeah. You let somebody get under your skin a little bit. If, if you were sitting here firing questions at me with a tick list, um, <laughs> I'd feel really threatened and, and I'd feel that I could get it right and I could get it wrong and um, that I'm you're actually trying to make me or get me to say what it is that um, you've decided is already right whereas when we have a conversation we can explore perspectives um, and, and we can have better understanding and, and that just leads me to think ab- about perspectives because perspective is, is a really important part of um, well, about agreeing, disagreeing um, and, and part of inspection as well and, and I'm reminded of um, a really lovely analogy that's about an about an elephant. So if you if you imagine now I'm sitting across from you. So imagine that there was an enormous elephant between us and you had the the trunk and the tusks end and I had the tail and the oh, other end. end. <laughs> and and we were asked to describe what we could see. Mm. What you would describe would be really different from what I would describe. And it would be very easy for me to to say well well you're wrong because I'm looking at this elephant and I can't see what you're describing so you must be wrong okay and similarly for you to say well I must be wrong because you know what you're looking at and, and when we're thinking about perspective of course we're both right because we're looking at the same thing from different places and the only way I'm really going to understand you is if I move from where I am and I stand with you and I look at it from where you are and then I'll see what you saw mm. and similarly you stand with me and you'll see what what I saw so like if you similarly we could have um, we could have an enormous six painted on the table between us you'd think it was a nine yep. I'd think it was a six you're not wrong we're just describing <laughs> things from the, from the diff, from a different angle aren't we so part of inspection and and I would give a caveat to this because um bear in mind that an ins- most science inspections are one day long hmm. all right if you are a volunteered secondary school your inspection is, is two days but um, out of the 5000 or so schools that's the minority so usually one day um and there's one inspector inspecting a school so they've got to do an awful lot in a very short time Mm. and key to doing this awful lot is understanding the school 
So those inspection conversations where they get under the skin and understand your perspective, they've got to do that very, very quickly. So the better information a school can give an inspector, the more pertinent, focused, um, relevant, obviously, the information that they can share as quickly as possible will enable inspector to understand the school and then it gives them time to build in that well let me look at this from your perspective and you look at it from my perspective so that we can get an understanding you know we we would both we would all eventually need to agree that we had an elephant um, in between us but we wouldn't know that until we'd looked at it from from this range of perspectives so so part of disagreeing well about an inspection is doing everything we can to understand the perspectives now i could have described drawn a conclusion that what I was looking at was a hippo because Mm -hmm. I only had a certain view Mm -hmm, of it mm -hmm. okay in which case I would actually be wrong and it was only when I got a different perspective that I could see that I was wrong so we have to remember that reality as well that both inspector and school might actually be wrong but I think the understanding not because there's um, being wrong is a deliberate attempt to um, to sabotage or to misunderstand or to to be unfair but it's about lack of understanding let's reach the point of communication isn't it it's incredibly it's, yeah. important and I think we have to remember as well that the occasion of an inspection is nerve-wracking yeah I can speak about how um, um, conversational it might be how it's the coming together of experts but I've been on the receiving end of inspection as well as on the dishing it out end of it and it's really nerve wracking because you know you're going to be judged, you know how hard you've worked, you believe that what you've done is good, you know, it takes just as long to do something badly as it does to do something well, so we, we're trying to do good things with the time that we have um, so it's nerve wracking, so you know, let's not be naive that school leaders are going to be nervous in this and um, let's just try and work together and in, on an inspection to have a calm, uh, thorough, robust conversations um, and evidence gathering, observations, document scrutiny, talking to people and however we can best gather the information so that there's a shared understanding. At the end of a Simon's inspection, there should be a shared understanding and there should be agreement there isn't always, okay? Mm. There isn't always. <laughs> and people can always appeal and they can always complain, of course, and we take all of those seriously. But the vast majority will end in a shared understanding. It, it's yep. it's like building a quick relationship. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you That's have right. to be able to understand how to move together through this process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're right in saying it's nerve-wracking, and, you know, obviously their inspectors know this and they're going to try to give as much grace as they can through this yeah, process. They will. They yeah. will. And they'll listen. Mm. You know, building um, a good relationship quickly, mm-hmm. um, there's got to be a lot of listening going yes. on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it just it just takes me to the space of us living well together mm. yeah. and all of us flourishing together. Yeah. And it sounds like that's where the SIAMS inspection framework and reports is coming from. It's coming from a place of love and excellence and compassion Mm. and all of us living well together and flourishing and we can do that in a context of holding to account you know you know we're not going fluffy and and soft here we um we will do this in a christian manner we will seek to to reach fair evidence-based 
and robust judgments, but in a compassionate way that honours and respects everybody involved. Yeah. But I think that goes to the word flourishing. Yeah. Like we always talk about this word flourishing and, mm. and we talk about the misconception of the flourishing. Like the, you think the end result is where everything is really great is, is that. But it is the struggle to get there. Mm the lessons that you learn to get mm-hmm. there, the way that you communicate your journey to get to that yeah. point. And that's all a part of the inspection process. It's we want to hear the journey. Yeah. We want to know what your um, understanding of your process was. Yeah. Yeah. We want to understand your vision. That's right. We want you to communicate that clearly. Take us with you. Take the inspector with you. Help the inspector, because that would be my plea to schools. Enable the inspector to understand you so that they can be fair and accurate in their their judgments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that's absolutely awesome. Um, I'm just going to take us to something that we're all passionate about, collective worship. Mm -hmm. And I am going to put on my professional hat as in the team of racial justice and as you know the Church of England is committed to racial justice and we're doing a lot Mm. of work in this sphere at the moment so my question is I think it's kind of like a I know it's it's about the journey and we're looking at the impact Mm -hmm. but based on racial justice how can collective worship be used as a vehicle to ensure that we're living well together and we're flourishing. So schools are um, encouraged to be worship. Church schools are encouraged to be worshipping communities, spiritually flourishing communities uh, for everybody. Now, we'll all come into that site of worship, that act of worship, the occasion, um, bringing different backgrounds, beliefs, and personality traits, um, keenness. Some people might go in very reluctantly and wonder what the point of it is. Some will be really enthusiastic and it'll be the heart of of their day. It's a very levelling experience in a way because we, uh, you know, if we take the the meaning of what we're doing, we are coming before God together um, in which we are all equal um, with our needs um, with with our gifts, with our requests and with our praise. Uh, we all come in together. Um, so nobody is better or more worthy than anybody else in that. We use three words within SIAMS and these words have been carried over from 2018 into the 2023 um, framework, which are invitational, yeah. inclusive mm-hmm. and inspirational. Yeah. And if we take those three, there's a little bit of an overlap and in a way one builds on, on, on the previous one. But this is an invitation. There's no compulsion on anybody um, to worship. You, I mean, even putting those that sentence together, it, it makes no sense, does it? You can't insist that somebody worships. Worship is an expression of, of your heart. So um, it's an invitation. There's a lovely analogy which is about um, church schools um, and we can apply it to worship being like warm fires and open doors so if you imagine um, imagine your, your favourite pub with a roaring fire it's there the comfy sofas are around it and it's kind of drawing you in if you want to the door is open and um, come in come as close to the fire as you want to sit f- further away from it if you want but the 
invitation is there. It's the invitation from the school. Uh, it's an invitation um, from God. Come as close as you will. Um, stay as far away as you will. And in doing so, we are including everybody because um, I might be in an act of worship and um, and not want to take part. I might want to sit and think um, and reflect. Um, but I am invited to take part if I want to. I am included. Um, and I know that some schools have different ways of dealing with this. And a couple that I've come across in in worship is... So, so often in a church school, you find um, a cross on the wall that's often... Um, there might be a table with, with a, cru- a cross on standing on it. It's a visual aid for people to look at. And I inspected a school once, and and they what they had on the wall was um, they had a beautiful picture with kind of many shades of blue. It was like kind of like a very sea like looking. Um, and this this painting was there to enable all to be included to reflect. So yes, they could look at. The, the cross that was standing on the, the worship table if they were but if if they felt more comfortable if it suited their belief or if they would say that they didn't have a religious belief and they felt excluded if they were fo- told they had to focus on on a cross but to look at this painting it enabled them to um, let their mind go where they wanted it to go to reflect um, to to think about what it is that um, they felt comfortable or challenged to think about so that included um, people of different faiths and, and beliefs in that which I thought was lovely we're also asked that our the worship life of our schools is inspirational now if you put somebody in a corner and say be inspirational <laughs> am I going to inspect you on whether you are you know that's designed really to, to knock all inspiration out of something but how do we inspire I think we inspire by being true mm-hmm. by being um, passionate by involving people with um, a variety of skills abilities passions um, gifts uh, and sometimes I'll be inspired and sometimes I won't. Um, I know that, that when I go to church, some Sundays I am genuinely moved um, and inspired to, to be a better person. And others, no fault of those leading worship, I'm not. You know, mm. uh, um, Worship is not something that we can categorise, you know, bum, 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 bullet point after bullet time, do this and everybody will feel invited, included mm. and inspired. Mm. doesn't work like that. Um, what we're looking at th- in the inspection question on collective worship is how collective worship enables the school community to flourish. And that is people of all backgrounds, all races, all beliefs, whoever makes up your school community, yeah. is their spiritual flourishing enhanced through the worship life of your school? Mm. If so, how? If not, why not? And what might you do about it? Mm. Brilliant. Well... Everybody, that was Dr. (laughs) Margaret James dropping some jewels on you today. Um, And before we close, I'm going to I'm going to do something that I didn't even talk about. So five books, Dr. James, two, if if you can't think of the five um, that have really made you think about the process of inspection through a theological lens Mm -hmm. that you Mm. could say, okay, leaders, go ahead and think about these books if you want to do a little bit more in-depth reading Mm. about the process. I'm glad that you reduced it to to two. two. (laughs) (laughs) I think 
cool. I can think of a, a book and I can think of a writer mm, um, if, if that will help. Um, the, the writer that I that inspired me most through my um, my years of studying was uh, Stephen Ball. Now Stephen Ball is a um, an educationally uh, a, a sociologist of education, and his thinking and unpicking of um, the different facets of inspection is fascinating. Um, the way that he writes and challenges and questions. Um, I learned so much by reading um, the writings of Stephen Ball. So um, Google him, sociologist of education. If you're interested in inspection, well, first of all, have a bit of a word with, with yourself. <laughs> Is that what you had to do? Have a bit of a word with yourself. <laughs> a stern word with myself. Um, and anything by Stephen Ball will inspire you I, I can guarantee it and then the book that stays in my mind is and I'm so sorry if the title of this is incorrect it's edited by um, Howard Worsley and it's called Beyond the First 200 Years and it takes a look at um, church school education past present and looking forward to the future such a lot of wisdom and inspiration in there um, there's that lovely quote that um, I think it's a Winston Churchill quote that the further back you look, the further forward you can see. And I think that we can learn by the the richness and the experience of what we, the church, the body of Christ in education, have learned over the first 200 years mm. um, and how we can um, learn from that, take the, the diamonds, the jewels from that and cast them forwards into our present day um, context. And I think that I would sum that up by saying, uh, making reference to a phrase that we use in the 2023 framework, which is we make the connection between a school's original foundation mm -hmm. and their theologically rooted Christian vision because they're connected. The school's original foundation might be 200 years old, might be more, who knows, might be far uh, more modern than that. But their original foundation, what that school was set up to do, and I can guarantee that it was set up to meet the needs of the local community, those yep. who need the school most. Yep. Get that, wrap that up into your modern day vision to meet the needs of your community now mm -hmm. and you won't be going far wrong. Well, wow. <laughs> that was a great line to end this podcast. And yep. we just want to thank you, Dr. James, for spending your time with us today talking about SIAMS and uh, enabling our listeners to flourish through the process. Thank you, everybody, for joining us.